Will your words make things better or worse? Not that school is the whole universe, but a teacher's words last, though the moment will pass. So choose words that you'll cherish, not curse. I'm Heidi Marks Morris, and I started teaching high school in 1995. Despite nominal retirement in 2015, I've been in the classroom ever since. I'm writing a book about what I've learned in my career because I want to help others experience the connections and joy that I have found in successful teaching. It's called Teaching Matters, and you can sign up for news of it at my website, marksteachingmatters.com. This is my first year as a math teacher. I have spent most of my life teaching English. And English lends itself to lots of student feedback. Because after all, in English, students are often writing. They turn in what they've written, and teachers give them feedback on how to improve that writing. It makes for a very natural conversation between teacher and student. You can talk about the kid's ideas and not have to berate his grammar, and things can proceed with amity between pupil and mentor. In math, there's not a lot of conversation. There's a lot of equations. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of opportunity to give a score rather than to give feedback to the individual behind it. And so my role has shifted somewhat as feedback giver, and yet as I have contemplated how important it is to give feedback, I realize that regardless of the subject one teaches, there are some principles that are essential to hold on to. And remembering the student and treating him or her with mercy is absolutely paramount. First, there are so many opportunities for wit in teaching. I cherish wit. I love a clever barb. And students leave themselves open, wide open for them all the time. Let me give you an example from an end of the term email from a student. It began, so apparently all those zeros are affecting my grade. I had a dozen instant retorts at my lips, well, fingertips, given the email nature of the exchange. But I chose, because of my bitter experience having taught me the unwisidity of embracing the temptation of a barb, I chose to respond with a measured agreement and counsel on how we might go about amending those zeros. Students will not respond well to constant criticism, fault-finding, and correction, even if your intentions are pure and even if you are absolutely right. This has been something I am still learning but I have come to embrace more as I have gone on. Yes, I'm right. And yes, the kid is an idiot in some given circumstance. But dwelling on that 
in no way serves my purpose or the kids' purpose, and it especially doesn't help us to share a purpose. I've talked often about the need to be on the same team with your kids. You want to be working toward the same goal, and you want them to choose to vest effort in achieving that. Becoming adversaries, even playful ones, is probably not the best route to being good teammates. So, to get back to the world of math feedback, students are turning their work in online. They upload photos of their work so that I can see, somewhat, the steps that they took to reach their answers, and then I give them feedback. It can be just a score, or I can type anywhere from a word to a page of commentary on anything. My first bit of counsel is, as a teacher, give written feedback often. Not simply a score, but words that are unique to that student that let her or him know that you read what they did. Just a simple comment like, watch those negatives, I saw it happen on number two again, or your handwriting is awesome, or that smiley face that you put when you got the answer on number eight, I feel ya. Something as small as that opens that communication way between teacher and student. They know that their work is part of your world, it's not just theirs. And the tighter that connection is between their effort and your class, the more work they're willing to do. So give feedback, often, and not just a score. So some counsel on that feedback. First, <laughs> make some aspect of it positive and honestly so. I feel strongly that building up false egos or pumping a kid up with false praise are damaging. They aren't just means to a good end. They are damaging to that kid's growth. On the other hand, compliments that are rooted in truth can help them grow and make them more receptive to correction. So I compliment neatness even when the work is wrong or I compliment consistency even though their method is flawed or I compliment determination to finish. Something that I see as worthy of praise is something I will point out. Now, you can exhaust yourself giving hours and hours and hours of praise that kids never read. So be judicious. I like to go with a sentence per kid, perhaps a semicolon in the middle of two independent clauses, one half positive, one half negative, or rather corrective, but that feedback that is personal is so important. Next, be merciful. This is something I have been thinking about a lot since last week. Last week I had the opportunity to have five 
out-of-class conversations with students. We stepped out of class into a breakout room on Google Meets while my co-teacher ran the rest of the class. It was during seat time, during work time. I got to have conversations with these five kids one at a time and ask them about their missing work. Most of these students had not turned anything in in two weeks. There are lots of reasons to tell them what to do and show them how to do it and urge them to greater diligence. Instead, I ask them, I see that you're missing a lot of work. Tell me what's going on. Four of those five students turned out to be dealing with traumatic life events, either divorce or incipient or imminent homelessness. They don't know where they're going to be sleeping. They don't know whether their family will hold together or where their future lies. And their turmoil is painful, and yet they're still coming to class. That leaves one student who wasn't dealing with those two things, except he was dealing with them both. But I knew this from past experiences with him. He said, when I asked him, what's going on? It's my own fault. I'm just being lazy. But I knew he bounces around among three different homes, and the most stable of those three is with his ex-stepmother, who lives in another city about 30 miles away. He had shared those things with me in the past. He also had traumatic instability in his life. Listening to their stories and then working with them to come up with a plan for how can we do school anyway was powerful. And boy, was I grateful that I had not begun the conversation raining down fire and brimstone upon them for their evil ways, so to speak. The students that I spoke with needed love. They needed patience, they needed kindness, and they need to work harder in math. Which of those things needs to precede the other? Clearly, the kindness is the route that I believe is going to pay off the most. It's difficult to balance the human demands with the logistical demands, with the subject's demands. And it is difficult to see how all of those things can interconnect in a supportive and beneficial way. But when you choose words to say to a student who has made an error on a problem, on an essay, on a test question, on a comment in class, please remember the human behind the error and the human ahead of your words and treat them both with the compassion and the mercy that you would like extended to you under the same circumstances.